This morning, we want to continue on this topic of a, what we call a symbiotic marriage. And um, you remember, symbiotic or mutually uh, symbiotic relationships are relationships that benefit one another. That means that you've got two entities, two living organisms, if you will, that each one doing their own part not only benefits the other one involved in a relationship, but it also benefits themselves. It's mutually beneficial. It means they receive some of the benefit from it as well. And I believe marriage is designed to be a mutually beneficial symbiotic relationship. We used this example last week of the goby fish and the shrimp. You remember the goby fish and the shrimp? The shrimp is blind. But what the shrimp provides in this relationship with the goby fish is it burrows into the sand. It provides a place of safety and hiding. It provides a place for the goby fish to lay its eggs. And you say, well, wow, the the goby fish is getting all the benefit in this relationship. Well, no, because the shrimp is blind, the goby fish, when a predator is around, taps the shrimp with its tail. It's real. Happens in, happens in the ocean. Taps that shrimp with its tail, and then they both retreat into the burrow for safety. You see this mutually symbiotic, beneficial relationship, and that's exactly what marriage is supposed to be like. Each person, husband and wife, fulfilling their duty as unto the Lord. And what we're going to see is there's going to be a mutually beneficial uh, outcome of that. Now, the command for husbands, as we get into the section this morning, is to love their wives. And one of the things that I'm going to say right now, and I'm going to repeat probably 500 times over the next 45 to 50 minutes, is that husbands, this is impossible for you to execute if you are not filled by the Spirit. Please remember, you cannot love your wives if you try harder, if you read one more book, if you crank it out and crank it down and learn how to shut your mouth and learn how to... You have to be filled by the Spirit to execute this command in a way that's acceptable to the Lord. This is what's so key about this passage. It's got a context. But before we get into the passage, let's also just consider some introductory comments like we did last week. Again, roles in marriage are different. Husband and wife, they're, they're not playing the same role. This is by design. God has ordered it. But it doesn't uh, indicate a lack of value or worth in either one of them. The, the, the value and worth of husband and wife are exactly the same before the Lord, even though they've got different duties or roles. We're not saying that men are, men are the leaders of the home because they're better than their wives. That is not true. It's just, it's not true. I'm sorry if that, that some have misabused this whole passage for that. It's simply not true. And you can go to the scriptures to prove that out. This, the, these different roles don't dictate anyone's value or worth. Also, as a, as, a, as a focus on having the right mindset, nowhere in the scriptures do the writers or the authors of scriptures emphasize the rights of husbands or the rights of wives. It emphasizes the duty and roles of the husbands and wives. This means that most marriages in our day, and maybe that's an overstatement, but maybe, I don't think it probably is. Most marriages in our day, they start going south. They start getting off the rails because husband and wife are more interested in what the other person does for me than what my role is before the Lord. And we start demanding and expecting and evaluating our spouse. In fact, our full-time uh, energy, if you will, in a marriage is evaluating our spouse to see if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing for us. And I'm just here to tell you, no marriage will survive that way. 
because both people will bury themselves in layers of self-protection and self-interest uh, that it can't, these roles and duties can't be carried out unless we're occupied with the Lord, filled by his spirit. And so this is so important uh, to recognize. Also, uh, let's just, as we talked to the wives last week, let's talk to the husbands. Do you know that many marriages, I believe, fail because men, husbands, don't know how to lead biblically? They don't, they refuse to be a biblical leader in their home. And it starts with this first command. It starts with loving their wives. And guess what? It's going to have a positive impact, a mutually symbiotic. I, just, I want to keep working that word in since I just learned it, right? Uh, a mutually symbiotic benefit to even the children in the home. When they see this love, they say, what love is that? You know, imagine if, imagine if daughters saw their dad love their mom as Christ loved the church you know what? They wouldn't settle for second best when they start looking for a husband. They wouldn't settle for all the sloppy seconds out there in this world. They're going to have a little bit higher standard because they've seen it. They say, I want that. I want to be loved like that man. Love my, my mom. That's what I want, right? And so it's got all this beneficial aspects. So guys, we got to get our eyes off of ourselves and what we think we deserve from our wives. And we need to start walking by means of the spirit. We need to start doing what we do as unto the Lord, not for a response from our wife. And so this is kind of, as we look at that, and by the way, wives, just kind of a note for you, I, I know that, that wives would love for their husbands to hear this message this morning and to get everything out of it that they can. But it's not going to happen if you're elbowing him every point that comes out, right? So just kind of encourage you to leave your elbows to yourself. Um, again, you are getting to sit, on, sit in on your husband's private mail this morning. This is a letter directed from God to your husband. Keep the elbows out of his ribs and just pray for him. Because ultimately what you want as a wife is nothing more than your husband to be everything that Jesus Christ has designed him to be. And, and guess what? When he walks that way, you'll benefit from it too. So that's what we want. We want our husbands to listen. Um, you know, I, I always, uh, it's always kind of uh, interesting over the years, and I, I don't think it happened here. I didn't, I didn't pay that close of attention, but it's always interesting in marriage series where husband and wife, they, they show up for every message, and the husband's like really good to get his wife to the message on wives submit. And all of a sudden, like he hurts his back on Saturday afternoon. The, the Sunday before, it's about husbands love your wives. It's just so ironic how that happens. So I, I'm glad to see some dudes in the audience this morning. Good for you. I'm glad you're here. Um, but, but we need to take, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of addressing a very serious situation lightheartedly. Because if we stayed serious the whole time, we, we couldn't keep up with that intensity. But you know what? Husbands, that's the type of intensity we need toward fulfilling this command. And so... With all that being said, one of the things that husbands need to understand is the same thing that we mentioned to wives last week. If I had you over to mow my lawn, I want you to know what resources are available to you in the tool shed in order to get the job done. Don't reach for the scissors. Don't reach for the scalpel. Don't reach for the hunting knife. Get to the back of the shed and get that riding lawnmower, right? Get this thing. Let's bang this out quickly. Let's bang this out efficiently. And you know, the Spirit of God, men, is your riding lawnmower in life. This is what you are empowered with to get the job done. And you know, there's too many 
sincere, I, I believe. There's a lot of insincere Christian husbands, okay? So I, I mean, I get it, I know. But there are too many sincere Christian husbands who want to fulfill this command and they absolutely stink at fulfilling this command. They desire it, they want it, they, they, they put more effort into it, and yet they don't do it. They're inconsistent. They fluctuate back and forth. They get jazzed up and charged up for a week, and they are just setting the world on fire in this area of love. And then the following week, they just kind of, you know, they kind of taper off. It's so uh, fascinating. One day, they're willing to sacrifice for their wife. The next day, they can't quit pointing their fingers at her and her problems and what she has caused them to do. And they, and they get so inconsistent. And we see that many men, even sincere Christian men, their love is dependent, so dependent on circumstances. It's dependent on their wife's responses. It's dependent on any kind of accolades or words of affirmation that their wife provides or does not provide. And their love is so circumstantial. It's so dependent on all these outside circumstances. And then if all the circumstances line up, then they love the way they're supposed to love. At least in their mind, they think they do. But when those circumstances start falling apart, they don't quite get the attention that they need. They don't quite get the response that they were looking for. They say, this is for the birds. I'm not going to do this. This is too much work. And so we've got to understand that as, as a husband seeks to fulfill this command, they've got to be filled by the Spirit. Otherwise, they're not going to be stable or consistent in executing this love on their wives. And that's what we're really looking for. As the verse is going to tell us, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. I was actually talking to, some, uh, to the guys in the back before I came up here. And you know what's, what's so amazing about this command, what's so amazing about this passage is the way cultures have shifted over time. Now, I don't, I don't need to tell you that, that our culture is a little bit different than the culture that Paul wrote this in. But you know what's interesting about that is that, do you know what the, out of the two commands, the one for wives to submit to their own husbands in verse 22 and the husbands to love your wives, do you know uh, how that would have been received in the culture? Which of those commands would have been countercultural jaw-dropping? Not the wives, submit to your husbands. That's, that, was the, that was the culture. That was, everyone expected that. Verse 25 would have been jaw-dropping. They would have been like, what? Husbands love your wives? (laughs) Not only that, but then the example that Paul, I mean, Paul, can you give us a lower-tiered example than Jesus Christ? I mean, you talk about pulling your ace card out, right? It's like, I mean, what better example, higher example is that? And and do you know that if you look through the Old Testament, you look through rabbinic literature, you look through any of the household codes of the Greco-Roman era, you'll never find anything like this for husbands. Husbands were granted privileges, freedom, basically to do whatever they wanted to with whoever they wanted to without any kind of repercussion, especially in the home. This would have been radical. This would have been mind-blowing and shocking. And so I want to set the stage for what Paul is doing here. This would have been a roundhouse uppercut to the men in Ephesus who have only run over their wives all of their lives to see this and say, wait a minute, the game just changed. Jesus Christ wants to do something radical in my marriage that's never been done before. 
And I want to paint that stage because we come to this and we say, oh yeah, you know, it's a present tense command. It indicates immediate action and it does. It indicates there's some urgency to it. Present tense in this case also indicates an ongoing and continual love that we're to have for our wives. And it's in the active voice. It means husbands need to choose it. And see, in our day, we're like, oh yeah, I got that down. You know, I got her flowers for Valentine's Day. I I got her chocolate. That one time she was upset, I went out and got her chocolate. And we think in terms of these like simple, simplistic, you know, big events. What happened on, I know what happened on February 14th. What happened on February 15th? What happened on February 21st, right? This is what we don't get about love. We're like, oh yeah, I can do that. And we have this overly simplistic view. Many husbands are like, oh yeah, I do that. I told my wife I loved her on our wedding day. I mean, I, you know, I, and I think I say that on our anniversary every year. And I think last year, you know, and we start, so well, I spent, you know, $500 on a gift for her. I mean, and we start justifying these events. And that's not love in and of itself. That may be a manifestation of love, but that's not what we're talking about here. In fact, when you look at this word that Paul uses, he uses this word agapao, okay? It's the verb form of agape, which most of us are familiar with. It's translated love six times in this passage. You just kind of go forward verse 25 to verse 33. You'll see it like six times. This is the word. This is a verb. And when the husband in Paul's day saw this Greek word, they should have had one and only one reaction to this command. Not like, yeah, let me at him. That's not the reaction Paul was I'm sure looking for. It should have been sheer terror and fear because they would have known they were inadequate to love in this type of way. And every husband in the room this morning should recognize your own inadequacy to love your wives in this way. It doesn't mean that you don't love your wife. It just means to love her in the way that's being described should put you in a panic. Honestly, if we understood it correctly. And as we kind of develop this word a little bit more, you know, one of the things that we see is that this love, this love that's described here, it's, it's seeking the highest good of somebody else, regardless if it benefits you or not. See, that's our problem. That's why we love who we love, when we love, why we love. The, the energy that we put forth in love, it's typically because we get something in return. We get something out of the deal, and that's our focus. Thus, if I stop getting something out of the deal, I stop loving. That's typically how we love. That's, by the way, a very natural way to love. Your unsaved neighbor loves the same exact way that I just described. And and this is why this is such on on a different plane than anything that you've ever naturally seen before. This is supernatural love. This is what one commentator says. This is the all give love. Imagine just giving and giving and giving and giving and never having an expectation of something in return. That's what this love is. This is the love that's described in 1 Corinthians 13, right? You you go through that passage. We hear that at weddings. It's the same love spoken of as a fruit of the spirit. And what it tells us is this, is if this love is ever going to show up in a husband's life, it's going to have to be spirit wrought. The spirit of God is going to have to produce it in and through us because it's fruit of his life controlling us and manifesting 
the life of Jesus Christ in and through us. And you know, unfortunately, many husbands don't realize their own inadequacy here. This is kind of like a, uh, an AA meeting for husbands this morning. You, you have to realize your need. You, you don't realize your need. Like, go back to step number one, Mr. Miyagi. You know I mean? You got you to gotta, you gotta get this. We got to get this. If we don't get this, you're not even ready to move to step number two because you don't even think you're inadequate. And you know, many husbands are just foolish and immature and they need to grow up and get past this, this feeling that they can just do anything. And that's, I've joked about that before, but when you're, you're a young man, you're 18, you are 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And many of us carry that into our own marriages. We think if we can just do this, we can just love her. We can just do this like we've done everything in life, school, job, work, career, fixing car, home improvement projects. We think we can do anything. I'm here to tell you this morning, husbands, you need to realize that you can't do this. <laughs> no caveat. You cannot do this. We're going to talk about this in your natural strength. This is impossible. And this is why this command, again, flows out of 518. Don't get too far from 518 in your marriage. We need to be filled by the Spirit. This is, there's not a YouTube video you can watch on this. I mean, all you DIY people, this, it's not, it doesn't work that way. This is relational intimacy with the God of the universe, which you need in order to love your wife in this manner. In fact, this is uh, not one of those things. And again, husbands, be convinced. It's not one of those things that the harder you try, the more success you're going to have. The harder you try, the more you're going to fail. This is literally spiritual quicksand. You know, quicksand, what are you supposed to do if you get trapped in quicksand? Not that we deal with that much in Georgia, but when you, when you get trapped in quicksand, what are you supposed to do? Fight to get out? No, that's, that buries you further. What's the best way out of quicksand? I may save your life one day. Pay attention to this one. You, you lay back. You actually relax. You lay on your back and, and somehow you start to float to the top and then you can climb out. And and the same is true in a sense. You, you're not, you're not, it's not that you're not trying, it's that you're leaning and resting on somebody else to get you out of the mess. And that's what we're talking about in terms of loving our wives. You know, agape love, again, is only and always a fruit of the Spirit. If, and it can only be exercised if and only if husbands are relying upon the Spirit to produce this love in him. In fact, when we look at our own love, it's all conditional. I think I've alluded to that a few times. It's conditional. We're looking for certain responses. We don't get the response. We shut down the love, you know, faucet, so to speak. We don't get that response. This type of love is unconditional love of an imperfect person based on the value and the worth that God has determined for her. You know, if, if husbands could just begin to see their wives, not as that woman that causes me hardship or not as that woman who gets in the way of things that I want to do or not as that woman who irritates me or annoys me or does this wrong and says this wrong and, and does this and start seeing them as an intrinsically valuable and worthy person for whom Christ died, that would be a step up for most husbands. That, that, is, a, that is an intentional way to view your wives who are dearly precious. Quite frankly, you even believe that one day. That's why you married her. You, you would have been sick to your stomach if you would have seen another guy walking down the street with her. You would have, you would have just puked seeing that. That it made you sick to your stomach. And you, so you believe this one day. 
And what we're saying is, you know what? God believes this about her every day, even on her worst day. He believes this about her. We need to start seeing our wives through these lenses. And this is what agape love does. This is what the spirit of God wants to produce in and through your lives, husbands. You know, men think they can become a better husband by focusing on becoming a better husband because that's what we do with everything else. Become a better mechanic? Well, focus on becoming a better mechanic. Become a better baseball player? Well, I practice baseball. And I'm just here to tell you, it doesn't work that way. This is a unique situation. You need outside resources that you don't possess That resource is found in a person, the spirit of God indwelling you. And this is why it flows out of 518. Just as a side comment before we get into this, and I I probably shouldn't have too many of these because I'm already, I feel behind already. But anyways, a side comment. Agape love, loving your wife, by the way, will not guarantee that your wife will be happy. You, You know, many husbands, they think that their role in their marriage is to make their wife happy. And they think that if they are doing this love thing the right way, that their wife will be happy. And I'm just here to tell you, it doesn't always work that way. Because your wife is capable of walking according to the flesh. Your wife is capable of being miserable. Your wife is capable of misinterpreting your love for her as something other than love. So it's definitely a possibility. But here's the point. We don't focus on that. If you focus on that, you're going to shut the love faucet off. You're going to stop seeing value and walking by means of the Spirit to love your wife. We don't focus on that. We want our wives happy. But it's, I'm not looking at that alone as my only uh, recognition that I'm doing things the right way. I am occupied with Jesus Christ. I can't emphasize that enough for both husbands and wives. That's where your eyes need to be is we start getting it too horizontal and then you start worrying about whether you're doing it right and then you start buying into secular, self-reliant strategies instead of just trusting the word of God. And that's where we want our occupation to be. Now, I mentioned this earlier just in passing, but you know, Paul just drops the ace card on the table. This is the example he puts forward for you men. So if love, agape, didn't get your attention enough, this example should now get your attention. He just upped the ante here. This is not just do your best for Jesus kind of <laughs> mentality. It means you need to love your wife the same exact way that Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. So if you haven't cried uncle yet, men, here, here is your chance <laughs> To cry, Uncle, I mean, this is, this is serious business. This is a high-level example. And, and this is how it should look. Now, what he's going to do is he's going to provide us with two comparisons. Let's go back uh, to verse 25. You see that phrase, just as. So we've got just as Christ also loved the church. First comparison. Second comparison is he gave himself for her. And so this first comparison is that Christ loved the church. Okay. So let's, let's just kind of consider how did Christ love the church? Well, he did so on the basis of grace. Now, what is, what does grace mean? And we talk about this a lot here. It's in our church name, but probably can't talk about it enough because it's so contrary to what people typically think grace is, but grace means the church did not deserve his love. And you know, what it also means the church will never deserve his love. That's the way Christ loved the church. That's the way husbands are supposed to love their wives. Now, I feel like a broken record. We know we can't do that ourselves. 
Our love naturally is going to be conditional. If you husbands see that you are withholding love from your wife, that you are making things conditional, then you are not walking by means of the spirit. And you've got resources you're not taking advantage of. And you got to call yourself out on that. You got to see that internally and you got to check those things because what you're going to do is you're going to go through religiously through your life thinking that you're showing love to your wife because you haven't yelled at her for two weeks. That's not love. We got to check these things even internally. Now, one of the things that we've got to see is that our wife is entitled to our love, whether she deserves it or not. And that is only going to happen as we are divinely led to do that. You know, what are some ways that Christ loved practically? What were some manifestations of his love? Well, let's, we don't have time to read through these verses, but I've got them up there if you'd like to jot them down in your notes. But one of the things that we see is that Christ's love was unchangeable and it could not be broken. It it can't be broken. It can't be changed. No matter what the church does, well, no matter what the church does not do, Christ's love cannot be broken. It's unchangeable. That's what Romans 8 35 through 39 does. In fact, I would encourage women, you know, let's go there. I said we wouldn't, but here we go. Romans 8. You know, one of the things that somebody told me years ago and I thought was very helpful is is to insert your name in John 3, 16. For God so loved me that he sent his only begotten son for me, right? And, And make it personal. You know, I would love as a way to illustrate this to, for wives to insert their name into Romans 8, 35 and 39 as it relates to their marriage. Who shall separate me from the love of my husband? You know, when you have a spirit-filled husband, a wife should be able to read this and rejoice in this and say, this is my man. Like, this is describing my man right here. Who shall separate me from the love of my husband? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, or arguments over finances, or arguments over children, or arguments over whatever it is, insert your argument, for which we even said last week, there's times in marriages we argue and we forget what started the argument. That's how dumb we can be sometimes with our argument. These things are not supposed to separate your love. They are not to retract your love. It didn't retract Christ's love for the church. None of this can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. And it's that same love, husbands, that God is calling us to in our marriages. You see, it's very important. Jump down to verse 37, because verse 36 would be a little awkward in marriage, um, (laughs) applying it there. Anyways, yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved me. For I, as a wife, am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able able to separate us from the love of my husband, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, that would be a a natural outcome of a spirit-filled husband. We see also that Christ prayed for believers and continually prays for believers. One of his ministries to the church in in showing out his love. We see that Christ reveals himself. He doesn't keep things secret from the church. He wants us to know things that are going on. He wants us to understand important things like the mystery known as the church. He wants us to understand the mystery of Christ in us, those resources. He reveals those things. He communicates to us. 
And we also see that Christ provides rest and helps to bear her load in life, right? Come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a, these are all manifestations of the love of Christ. So question for you. Did I just give you a to-do list? Is that, is that the reason I brought up all those things? Husbands are like, oh man, okay, I got to love her. Unchangeable. I got to start praying for her daily. I got to, you know what? If you want to pray for your wife daily, I encourage you to do that. I don't want to downplay that. But that's not what I tried to do. I, I'm trying to observe how Jesus Christ loved and the manifestations of that love. That's what we're trying to observe. That's kind of how it looked like. It did. It looked like that in Jesus's life for the church. And so some of these manifestations should show up in your life if you're being spirit-filled. But again, it's not a to-do list to legalistically try to crank out. This is showing us what a spirit-filled husband will look like because this is what Jesus Christ looked like in his love. So I bring those out just for that point. Now, the second comparison is that Christ gave himself for the church. And so we know, we know this story. We just celebrated it in communion. But Christ's love went to the extent that he laid down his own life. He kept nothing back for her. You know, I, I think oftentimes it's just unfortunate that the, 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 the cross work of Jesus Christ becomes so common in our thinking because we hear about it so much. But, you know, I, I think of these stories in, just in day-to-day life. I think of these, these people who are heroes, who who go in and literally uh, take people out of the way and, and die in their place. You know, I think of firemen who, who throw people out of the window, who go into a burning building and who throw them down to safety and they themselves lose their lives. I think of police officers that do the same. I think of military men and women who do the same in wars. They are literally standing in our stead so that we don't have to face what they're facing. And you know, some of those stories bring you to tears. If you've ever read some of the stories in 9-11 and in other tragedies that have happened, you know, I read a story recently about a dad who, who was in West Virginia and he and his son were working on a car together and he began to see Uh, the jack collapsing. His son was under the car and he dove under the car and in one motion threw his son out and the car landed on him and took his life. And we say, wow, what an incredible hero. But you know, that's who Jesus Christ is. And his work becomes so common to us because we hear it so much. That's what he did for you. That was the depth of love he had for you. And you think about this 2,000 years ago, you think of Jesus being this distant person who accomplished something, this, this far off person, history. And you know what? He had your name in his mind when he was getting nailed to that cross. Can you, I mean, can you personalize it that way? Cause it's very personal to him. It's very personal to him. And we don't have any problem seeing this love in our culture, but for some reason we don't always see the love of Jesus Christ because it becomes common and familiar. May it never become common and familiar for us. May it always mean something. May it always be something that motivates the decisions we make, the priorities we keep, those kind of things. And in this case, husbands, the same way that this love of Jesus Christ manifested himself in giving his life for the church, that's the same example for you in your marriage. It is just incredible to think about that. You know, Christ took the sins of the whole world. We know that. But he also, he also took on the sins of the church. 
That's pretty fascinating because he bore them himself. He took the penalty himself, a penalty he did not ever deserve, and he took it himself. Even though the church deserved to pay for her own sins, each one of you deserve to pay for your own sins. Christ took it for you. That's love. That's God demonstrating his love. That is God putting a visual aid to his love for us 2,000 years ago on the cross. And so their duty as husbands is to love their wives just as Christ loved the church, an impossible standard, again, made only possible with grace resources. In loving their wives, by the way, husbands should be presenting a picture. This is a testimony to the world of how Christ loved the church. I'm going to show you something. It's really, um, it's fun to talk about husbands and wives because this is where we live, uh, you know, in terms of our marriages and in culture and, and in churches, strong marriages and strong families build a strong local church. So it's a key component to that. And there's lots of truth here. But you know, when we really look at the purpose for this passage, do you know it's not about you husbands? It's not about you wives. It's about Jesus Christ still. And I know that sounds like a Sunday school answer, but let me just show you what I'm talking about. Jump down to verse 32, and we'll kind of cover this next week. Here's the undergirding point of this passage, I believe. Verse 32, this is a great mystery. Not wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving their wives. What's the great mystery? I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, marriage was designed all the way back in Genesis 2 to bring one man, one woman into union with one another to to form one new entity, if you will. And now what he's saying is all the way back in Genesis 2, when God designed marriage, he had in mind marriage to be a visual aid and illustration of the union that we possess with the Messiah. See, it goes back to this message of Ephesians. We are one with Jesus Christ. We are one with one another. And now we want to start living out that practical unity. And obviously one of the primary areas to live out that practical unity is in marriage. But that's what marriage illustrates. This oneness between what God wanted to do with his dearly beloved son and those who would simply trust in his finished work for them is to bring them in union. And this marriage is designed to illustrate this. Now, one of the things that we're going to see and you'll notice this starting in verse 26, um, again, depending on your translation, but verse 26 and verse 27 start with the same word, that, okay? The word that translates a purpose clause in the Greek. And so we're going to see now why should husbands love their wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her? What were the purposes for loving her in that way? We're going to see two purposes now. We're going to see two Reasons. Verse 26 is going to give us our first reason, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Again, I just brought this up, but we've got two purposes here. Why does Christ love the church? Why did he give himself for her? Why should husbands love their wives in this way? Two purpose clauses. Here's our first one. He wanted to, Christ loved the church in the way that he did and gave himself for her to sanctify her by cleansing her. Now, what does the word sanctify mean? That's kind of this, you know, that's like a, you know, $5 million word in Christianity that no one really understands. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a complex word. It's a theological word. Simply put, it just means to make holy. It means to, to set apart from a common use to a sacred and special use. 
you know that this, this uh, bottle of water um, has been set apart by me. You know, I, I don't scoop out my toilet water with this bottle, right? I, I, I don't use that for a common use like that. Plus, this is small. It would take me forever to do that. But I set this apart. This goes in a very special place in my office. I clean it out. I refill it every week. It's been set apart for me, you know, to water my mouth, so to speak. So I could say, even in a biblical sense, I've sanctified this bottle. That doesn't mean this bottle's holy in the sense that we think holy. It doesn't mean that this water in here is holy. It's just, it's water from the water fountain downstairs. I mean, it's not holy water. No one even prayed over it, right? It's just, it, but it's been set apart for a sacred and special use. And this was what Christ had in mind for the church. In fact, let's look at this theologically and then let's bring this back to husbands. Theologically, what's going on is the moment a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they are set apart out of the world, out of the condemned world, out of Adam, they're placed into a special sacred place called in Jesus Christ. This happens at spirit baptism where the Spirit of God baptizes the believer in Jesus Christ into the body of Christ. This is where we become unified with Jesus Christ, never to change. That's an unchanging position. God has put you in a special place. Why did he put you there? Because this is the sphere that he has poured out all of the spiritual blessings that you will ever need or possess right there in Christ. That's why all the way back in Ephesians 1, 3, it says, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. Where? In the heavenly places. Where? In Christ. See, this is how we've been set apart in a very special position. Um, And this is what we're talking about theologically. So this is why Christ loved the church. This is why Christ gave himself for the church to affect this consequence or this outcome of setting us apart. Now, how does that apply to husbands? What's the connection between this and how husbands should love their wives? Well, as a husband, again, loves or gives of himself sacrificially to set his wife apart in a special place of value, he communicates that special place of value to her. You see, he sets her apart in a special place. Rather than viewing her as common, rather than viewing her as a life partner that we coordinate and juggle kids' schedules. Oh yeah, that's my partner. She takes that kid that way. I take this kid that way. She put, fixes dinner. I bring home the bacon. She does it. Instead of viewing her that way as this common person, husbands are to constantly set their wives apart in a special place of value. That's what I believe is he's talking about here. He does this in his thinking. He does this the way he prioritizes his time. He does this in the way that he makes efforts to communicate and validate her worth and value. And he makes that a primary focus in his home. It doesn't, it, your primary focus, men, is not your jobs. Your primary focus are, is not your buddies. Your primary focus is not your hunting lease, your fishing license, your boat. Your primary focus is your wife. And you have an opportunity and a privilege and a blessing to set her apart in a special place where she feels it palpably. When, when, she, when you say, I love you, she doesn't say bull loney. She says, I believe it. I believe it. I, 
I believe this guy loves me. She sees it. There's this palpable way to work that out. You do this by means of the Spirit, by the way. You value her. You consider her words. You consider her feelings. You consider her concerns. You value her input above any other person on planet Earth. I said this earlier. That's the reason you married her. If you weren't going to go on doing that, then, then leave her to somebody else that can treat her. You should have left her to be loved by somebody else that would love her the way that she needs to be loved. And this is one of those things like, guys get it when we marry her. Like I said, I, I, I loved Carrie almost from the very beginning that I saw her. I just knew there was something unique and special about her to, to me. I just felt like, wow, this, this girl's a gem. And I knew that. But you know that the day that I knew, 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 knew for sure that I wanted to marry her, when I got a thought about her being with somebody else for the rest of her life, I said, no, <laughs> that makes me physically ill to think about that. And you know, and in that moment, when I said, I want to marry you, I, I took Carrie and I set her apart from every other person in the world. And I said, I want to keep you in a place of devoted care and attention from this point forward. Now, have I done that perfectly? No, unfortunately. But you know, that should be the mindset. It, it was then. I knew exactly what that looked like then. I had no problem with it then. But it says we go on to be consistent. Again, we need the Spirit of God continually just chipping away at the way we think because we get so cotton-picking, self-focused. We take our eyes off of what's most important. And so this is, I think, one of the ways that men send them apart. Now, what's really interesting is, is Paul adds this, this participle. It's kind of unique. So we're going to go theological again, and then we're going to come back to how this applies to husbands. But he adds this participle. How does Christ set apart the church? Well, he does it through cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Now, that doesn't mean you know, you're taking a bath with her. That's not what we're talking about here. It's, it's something different here. But the image is, is a very good image because it explains how this sanctifying work is put into effect. It's, it explains how, how you set apart your wife, how you put her in a, in a place of special value. In this case, when, when we look at this, it's really fascinating because there's two, there, well, there's probably more, but there, there's at least two main words in the Greek language for the, that's translated word. Lagos is, is the spoken word. Rain, or I'm sorry, Lagos is the written word. Rhema is the spoken word. He uses rhema here. He uses spoken word here in verse 26. Then he might uh, cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, the spoken word. It's interesting. He makes that shift here. Obviously, the, the written word is based on the spoken word. But when we talk about the setting apart or the sanctifying process that Jesus Christ put in place for the church, it was something that was verbalized through his spoken word and obviously executed by the Spirit of God placing us in Christ. But it's, it's just so fascinating because what, when you start to apply that to husbands, why is this significant? Why, why would this be a valuable, practical illustration of how husbands practically set apart their wives in a place of special position and value and worth? Well, Verbal communication, I believe. This is one very key way that husbands can assist in communicating to their wives their special place of value and importance. And, and you know, there's, these are words that, that husbands are using. Not, man, you always screw that up. 
man, what's your problem? Why do you always do that? You notice how, how sometimes we accuse our spouse of doing something? We always add these superlatives like, you always do that? That's a lie. <laughs> they don't always do that. They do it sometimes. Maybe they do it consistently. They don't always do that. And oftentimes we beat down with words. We tear apart with words. And so this is verbal communication that continues to set wives apart in a special place of unique privilege and worth in their husband's eyes. And I would love to give tons of practical examples here, but then I'm going to ruin it for you husbands because then you're going to go home and say what I said and they're going to be like, oh, you just said what the pastor said. You don't really mean it. So trust the spirit of God to give you the words that your wife needs to feel set apart in a place of value and worth. Guess what, husbands? If you can start doing that, a spiritually sensitive wife is gonna notice that and she's gonna start responding to the Lord too. And you're gonna watch your wife, this woman, who maybe at times you've thought there's no hope for her. You know, you're gonna watch her begin to flourish and bloom and become the woman that Jesus Christ has always designed her to be. And isn't that what you want, husbands? Isn't that what you want for your wife? That's what we want for our wives. That's what I want for every marriage represented in this room or every marriage that will be represented in the future if you're single. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for your marriage. So again, husbands can play a role verbalizing. One one way that I believe, just very practical example, husbands, that you can do this is verbalize and remind your wives of the glorious position they are in, in Jesus Christ. Remind them of the worth and value that they have in God's eyes because everything in this culture wants to tear down their value and worth. Every picture that's photoshopped, every video that's on the internet, it just does nothing but rip your wife to shreds internally. That's what Satan's all about. And you know what? You've got an antidote to that. That is the love of Jesus Christ. That is the value that Jesus Christ puts on our wives. And you know, despite what's going on in her life, God has a plan and purpose for your wife. She needs to hear that from you. She needs to be reminded of that for you, from you. She needs to understand she's got value in your life, in your children's lives, in people's lives, in friends' lives, in everybody's life. Whether or not people see it or not, she does. And she needs to hear it from you guys. This is a way that you can verbalize this setting apart of your wife. Now let's look at the second purpose that's mentioned here in verse 27. Really kind of an interesting way he words this, but he he says that uh, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her for this purpose that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So again, to present, uh, interesting word. We, we've actually looked at it in different books before, but to present means to stand near, means to stand before somebody. And so in this case, the Lord is causing the church to stand near him or before him. I love that image. I love that image. It's like, you know, it's like you've got, you know, the most popular person in the universe, which is the Lord. And he, he looks across a crowded room and he says, hey, hey, sweetheart, come stand by me. <laughs> Come over here. And you see how that would set apart uh, your wife and give her a sense of value? You're not just distracted by everyone else. You're, your eyes are locked in on your beloved. 
Isn't that fun, those of you that are married, if you've ever been somewhere in a group setting and you, you've kind of maybe gotten splitting up from your spouse and then you, you catch her eye or she catches your eye across the room and you kind of have that, that special behind the scenes like moment like, I love you. <laughs> it's neat. And it's, and it's Jesus Christ presenting to himself his bride. Now, this, this is amazing, right? Because he's presenting his church to himself. In other words, his care his love for the church is personal and constant. He's, he, if you will, he's always there. He's always persistent. He's going to ensure the church's successful presentation and her glorification. In fact, what typically happens in the weddings of our day? The, the wives go somewhere else and they do what? They prepare themselves for their groom. This is unique. The groom is preparing her to present her to him in a way that he will always accept her. It's just, a, it's just such a beautiful picture. It's hard to even make, make the crossover to what, hus- what that looks like for husbands. But what does a glorious church mean? Well, it's defined here for us as not having spot or wrinkle uh, of being holy and blameless. So again, what's the connection now? We want to bring this back to husbands. How, how should husbands love their wives? How do they... Um, what is this connection between this presentation to how husbands love their wives? Well, notice uh, again that Christ takes the responsibility. So it's a husband's responsibility, if you will, partly. I mean, uh, the bride and the wife have choices to make, volitional choices to respond to the Lord themselves. But, but in terms of taking that responsibility through our love, um, at least ensuring a, a, a loving atmosphere that she can flourish, Husbands are to stand beside their wives. I think this is one of the applications we can pull out. Shielding them, bringing, building them up, bearing some of the load that's even incurred from their faults. It's not selling them out. Oh, well, yeah, she did that. I'm going to let her suffer the consequences. It's stepping in and taking some of those. It's shielding her from these kind of things. This is what I think Peter is talking about in 1 Peter 3, 7, when he talks about dwelling with our wives with understanding. It's dwelling them with them with honor, patience, and genuine care. And you know, I think in closing, let me just say this, a couple of things. The, the goal of loving your wife is not just to extend kindness to her, to make her happy. That's, that's not the goal. That, that's a very low goal. I don't think that's the biblical goal at all. Although that sounds nice. I mean, that might be an upgrade for many husbands, honestly. But that's not the goal. The end goal is to build her up in such a way to bring about or to assist in bringing about God's purpose in her life. We, we want to build our wife in such a way that we are contributing to her spiritual growth so that she can be everything she's designed to be by Jesus Christ. That's the goal of the husband. And you provide fertile soil for that kind of growth when you learn to love her by means of the Spirit. What an absolute privilege we have as husbands. What a privilege. This should not feel like a burden. This is a privilege that the God of the universe has given you to have that kind of influence and effect and encouragement in somebody else's life. Not only that, but the one person in your life that you set apart and said that you would hold in a place of special value. And here's this practical way to contribute to that. Let's close there with a word of prayer. Lord, I do thank you for this. I, as a husband, I just, I I feel overwhelmed. I'm grateful 
for the resources we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I, I think I echo this prayer for every man in the building. Lord, make us what we need to be for our wives' sake. May we be the type of men that do exactly that. Build her up and cheer her on as she becomes everything you've designed her to be in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.